the leaders, they are actually investing to modernize. The intent is to disrupt. So they're not really entering it incrementally. Laggards, they need to bring their um, strategy up to snuff and deliver hyper-personalized solutions to the customer. Laggards or leaders, they know that digital transformation is not optional. They know it cannot be incremental in order to have a fighting chance against the new entrants, which include big tech, fintech. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Hi, I'm Gary Baker, Global Communications Director for the Hackett Group. Welcome to another episode of our Business Acceleration Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about how financial services companies can utilize cloud-based fit-for-purpose solutions to improve their ability to compete, provide better customer service, and deliver solutions to market more quickly. Our guest is Oracle Cloud CTO, Jonas Johannes. He's joined by the Hackett Group Director, Jay Ruffin, and manager, Matt Williams. Jay and Matt are in our technology transformation practice. Jonas, Jay, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks, Gary. Jonas, why don't you start out by giving us a bit of a look at the trends impacting banking and their ability to compete? Thank you. That's an excellent question because banks are really going through a watershed moment. That, quite frankly, raises to the level of the historical ones like the printing press with the potential matching implication to the FSI sector as a whole, especially banks, right? Let me elaborate a little bit on that. First, the Great Recession of 2008 caused by the go-go days of real estate and uh, CDOs and CDS ushered intense level of regulations from the feds that we are still experiencing today. And indeed, many of the change traced back to that time and they still are here with us. The big difference though today is the pandemic. The pandemic uh, provided a shock to accelerate the need to change for the banks, right? You can think of the pandemic as the main cataractic uh, event, if you like. But post-2020, several things were clarified to the banks, you know, which, which are existential in nature from, with respect to, um, you know, what change can do to the banks. The reality is bankings have um, learned through the uh, operational workplace and uh, market dynamics during the pandemic and post-pandemic that they were awfully unprepared for the shock. Be that as may, banks too, took a, a great challenge, this great challenge and uh, opportunity to, as an opportunity to embrace change. And they have laid down their foundational platform to actually really adapt the change and reposition themselves to the new normal. Meanwhile, the wind of the new normal have accelerated the challenge that it started earlier. And let me just talk a little bit about some of the challenge. The challenge are that the new regulations, technology, trends, and others have actually accelerated the flow of new entrants into the marketplace which include 
companies which play in the big tech area with really deep pockets and uh, talent and know-how to follow. Fintechs, while they have always been there as partners to the banks, what's different today with fintechs is they're actually repositioning themselves to directly attack banking banks by providing offering directly to the consumer or the end user. This is not yet, you know, the other change that banks are dealing with is have to do with the changing expectation of the customers ushered by the new dominant demographics in the marketplace, which happen to be the millennials and Generation Z. Finally, I think the pandemic actually changed the way we work and the way we actually relate with our workers. You know, particularly in banks, you know, there was primarily triggering the need for the talent pool in the bank, whether to come back to the bank or not. A lot of them did not come back, getting added to the great retirement pool and others completely getting out of the market to do something else. With this in mind, the talent pool labor market, particularly from the rates and quality of uh, talents required for the bank, have changed quite drastically. This is the change that banks are dealing with currently. To add to that, you know, there's also substitute for new products. Typically, the, consum- the new consumer want to see digital products served anywhere through any channel, you know, which requires banks to really get reposition themselves in an accelerated way against their competitors. This is the change that we need to deal to deal with. And uh, I want to hear a little bit from Jay, if you have, from Hackett perspective, uh, are seeing something different than we're seeing here at Oracle. Thanks, Jonas. Yeah, I think most of the things that you have talked about are similar to things that we're seeing um, on the Hackett side. I mean, in general, uh, consumers are starting to perform more of a more digital channels than what you might call kind of the traditional kind of contact methods. So if you think digital channels being online, mobile versus, you know, going into the branch or even over the phone. So I think that's definitely changing. I think the other thing that we're seeing is banks are becoming more experience oriented. So the customer experience, they're really going to have to tailor because to your point about fintechs, they are competing with folks that have uh, don't, aren't as regulated and can provide kind of that ubiquitous uh, type of contact. In some cases, only focused on one particular service like payments. So I think being that kind of go-to from an experience perspective is going to be key. And I think the other thing that you also mentioned that's driving it, I mean, the pandemic caused folks to focus on leveraging computers, cell phones, and kind of play to their preferences. And I think there are a lot of consumers who aren't loyal. I mean, they'll go to whomever provides the best experience, not necessarily the traditional bank, but, you know, if it's a non-traditional provider, they'll go there just because it's, again, whoever's providing that optimal experience. So I think that we're seeing that. And I think the last thing I'll mention is, you know, as we move forward, things like artificial intelligence with banking is going to play a, a larger and larger role with things like chatbots and virtual assistants, just to make sure that that, that whole virtual experience is, is a lot better. Well, Matt, maybe you can talk for us a little bit about kind of 
how a fit for purpose solution will will address some of the issues that that Jonas and Jay have laid out. Sure, absolutely. I think Jay and Jonas have made some interesting points about these trends that we're seeing in the banking industry and one of the key aspects of the fit for purpose solution is just how customer centric it is. When we see uh, clients migrating to cloud solutions that will take the place of these legacy on-premise applications, it's crucial to understand some of the industry-specific requirements and how to best serve your customers, whether they're internal or external to the company. And oftentimes we see uh, general purpose cloud solutions that may add to the complexity of the application portfolio if they're not best fit for a certain IT organization. Also, we see that these general purpose solutions may be slower to adapt to changes. So with these fit for purpose solutions, one thing that we've seen is using no-code workflows and pre-built industry solutions that can be quickly adapted to, to fit certain customer needs. I think another aspect that we're, we're seeing in the industry is adding on to that point about keeping the customer at the center is decreasing the amount of time that it takes to deliver these solutions. So being more agile and and really making sure that we have access to the right talents who can build the right modules for these applications. Matt, uh, I think the key is is speed, right? I think one of the things that we've seen in some of the the, uh, the benchmarking we've done is, especially within banking, banks are at a disadvantage for a lot of the reasons. We talked about fintechs and their ability to kind of take advantage of the customer experience. But the other thing that they can do is they can turn on a dime. They can add features and functionality quickly. And a lot of it just is because they don't have the spaghetti that banks have are kind of dealt with from a legacy perspective. But to your point, one of the key benefits to this fit-for-purpose solution will be speed and agility. If, if we can get something to banks that provides them with a degree of agility, they can, they can pump out features quickly, it'll really allow them to compete uh, in a market where they're, they're, they're losing ground quickly. Yeah, I think, Jay, you're like, you're right. I think one of the key elements that we need to point here is that the elephant in the room for banks, it is the legacy systems. While they have been very reliable and served very well for decades, they are now becoming more a friction element or a, or a, or force of friction in terms of quickly transitioning to the new normal. The other thing, though, is what we learn from legacy systems. In legacy system, banks have learned that migration after an M&A the bank that they have bought to the bank is to be, it is like to like, basically emulating the fit for purpose modernization strategy that you guys are mentioning, right? What banks have learned there is, you know, in their playbook, it simplifies or it actually makes it a little bit more digestible in terms of risk and disruption that you may cause as you do the post-merger integration. But also, I think it uh, speed up the process of getting to your destination. So I think one of I think from Oracle vantage point, the fit for purpose. We are thinking it that way. We're thinking it as you know elevating or using as a foundational element the post merger integration playbook that banks have used to migrate to from like to like platforms. In in your fit for purpose uh, uh, mentioning, that's basically what it is, right? It is. Moving what is as is 
to another banking platform, which is test hardened and specifically built for bank, thereby reducing the risk and acceleration time to market. And last but not least, the ability to migrate capabilities a la carte. Yon, as you talked a little bit about kind of uh, the uh, the legacy system being a big issue here, and, uh, but why haven't banks in general uh, leveraged fit-for-purpose solutions before now? That's a good question. So as I said a little bit earlier on the, uh, on the first question, banks pre-pandemic, they primarily were going through a change, some triggered by regulators as a result of the crisis in 2008, but the change was primarily incremental. It was basically peripheral change. And there was, to a certain extent, the mindset that we can survive by making peripheral changes, right? And leaving some of the components, you know, intact. In particular, you know, for large banks, which they may find themselves running their core banking solutions or systems, you know, on mainframe, the idea of modernization or the idea of getting off that pre-pandemic was a little bit, you know, tricky and is actually intimidating. So that's one of the reasons uh, for that. The second is pre the uh, pandemic, while banks knew they wanted to change, they didn't really realize where they were in terms of the need to change one thing. But the second thing, most importantly, is, you know, the pace to change as a result of the market forces, which may take their business or may put them in a jeopardy, right? In other words, they haven't really compared their pace needed to change and serve the new customer with the pace that the fintechs and big techs and new interacts are really uh, putting in place to leapfrog them. The pandemic changed all that because they have to flip the switch and provide services to all their team members from home to continue operating the bank and finding different ways of working, which leverage digital platforms. So they learned two things. One, that they have the ability and they can change fast. But at the same time, they learn that there's a lot of friction with their legacy and stuff that on the comprehensive and significant change they need to do, you know, they need to go through modernization to achieve that. I think, Jonas, all the stuff you said, it, it kind of correlates with some of the data that we found in a lot of our research. You know, we looked at banks, but also broadly at fi- financial institutions and kind of what they were suffering and why they were lacking in speed and agility in some cases. And a lot of it ties to what they're dealing with from a legacy perspective. If you looked at some of the data we have, about 60% of financial institutions, their IT budgets is used to maintain legacy systems. 60%. That's a lot. When you combine that with the fact that about only 15% are focusing their spending on transformation. So on the one side, Huge amount of money spent on maintaining legacy systems and only a small amount, you know, focused on transforming. That also ties to things like, in some cases, banks have the ability to set up what are called fintech labs to kind of see, you know, how they can model and compete in some cases with the fintechs. But even that, what we found is only about 7% of banks are doing that. So again, it's it's legacy systems. Tom, that are in, uh, kind of disabling them to, to kind of get out of the minutiae and then the spend because they're spending so much on legacy systems, they don't have a lot of money left over to spend on some of the, uh, the groundbreaking stuff. So I think that's why having something that's more fit for purpose that has less baggage 
in terms of technology and technical debt and it kind of enables him to move faster is probably something that will be a game changer. Great stuff. What functionality, Jonas, uh, would you say banks are most looking for or is going to be most useful to them? Well, obviously, I think, you know, um, we can start by, uh, by breaking down what a platform should look like. And in particularly, F4P, F4P is for Fit for Purpose platform should look like from banks. Here's what we are really finding out. You know, obviously, you need the lower end, which were the stacks of solution that we're calling the cloud itself, where... Uh, companies like ours and others have cloudified a lot of the infrastructure components for the banks to go. But that's not enough. You know, Oracle is going, pushing it to the next level. And what we're calling it the application development factory stack, where in that stack, we're providing a mechanism for banks to either assemble their solution rapidly for a specific banking capability they're going to modernize, but also provide them APIs, which are specific for banks, solutions, which may be consumed directly either from us or others, right? In other, the other, other parts of the application development factories, you know, providing the mechanism not to lay code from ground up while you can do that, you have that capability, but also provide you no code and low code workflows to assemble the solution rapidly, either where you, whether you build or buy the solution. And finally, you know, two more elements which basically provide you out of the box the data model for banks and pre-built solution models for, for example, for credit risk and other things straight out of the box. You don't have to use them. If you don't use uh, one Oracle, you can leverage your own so you can bring your own model to plug it into the platform and use our assembly fabric if you want to, to, to stitch together the solution that you're looking for. And finally, in terms of managing the different components of the environment, Oracle is providing an autonomous you know, database, which uh, primarily acts as a self-driving vehicle you know, from the database um, solution stack. On top of that, the third stack is primarily the banking capability you know, uh, directly. Oracle, in, on top of being a technology company, a software company, it's actually a fintech company delivering banking solution and insurance solution to the marketplace. We have been in that market as a fintech, supporting banks for 25 years or 20 plus years, which we have 10% of the unbanked actually use Oracle core banking systems as part of uh, their solutions, 10% of the end users who use banking solutions effectively. So from that perspective, Oracle provides a lot of functionality a la carte that you can leverage out of the box to assemble the solution. So when you bring those three stacks together, you have the cloudification stack, you have the digital bank stack, and you have the bank or bankification, the stack which is completely bankified with banking capability, you know, to actually deliver a true and test-hardened fit-for-purpose construct. That's how Oracle is approaching this app. Okay, one more question we've got, and we'll probably go around Robin on this, starting with Jonas. Um, what are leading financial institutions doing to differentiate their cloud solutions from one another? What uh, financial institutions are doing is primarily trying to, first and foremost, launching the uh, modernization projects or initiatives, right? The key element of success there is, you know, get there faster without disrupt disrupting the bank because the bank needs to continue running as they do modernization. So modernization becomes one of the key elements to digital transformation. Indeed, that's actually a critical path elements that needs to be resolved 
and Oracle is there to help them with the F4P solution platform. The other thing they're doing is they're dealing, they're trying to deal heads on with the issue of the competition from fintech and big tech. With respect to fintech, a lot of banks are actually opting for cooperation, you know, by providing, you know, by leveraging open banking solution or open banking APIs to actually invite or partner with fintech partners to deliver solutions to the marketplace together. And that will give them at least an opportunity to, to uh, cooperate with the fintechs while potentially can continue to compete with big techs, for example. The other thing that we, we are looking from their strategies, you know, the strategy of the CEO have changed drastically to include also ESG, environment and social and governance, and DEI, which is becoming much more of the board issue in terms of, in terms of um, the carbon footprint. For example, some of our bank clients, you know, they have very robust uh, goals which expect them to be carbon neutral by 2030, right? So those are some of the strategic uh, imperatives. Others have to do with regulators. Banks are taking, are getting even tighter and more consistent, and they, they are trying to find control and structure that it does not get them in the regulatory pickle because getting to that, it will actually prevent them or it will put some uh, inhibitors in terms of what they want to do, let's say, to grow leveraging you know, merger and acquisitions, joint ventures and stuff like that. So regulation becomes very important and having regulators as the stakeholders and uh, resolve issue, you know, for them as stakeholders with them becomes very important. That's the um, new bank. And last but not least, banks are not really sitting idle to continue just delivering offerings which are banking in nature. They're exploring other mechanisms or other offerings that are outside banking, either by themselves or in a joint venture or in partnership with fintechs, thereby making them much more diversified and much more robust positioning for the new normal, which is threatening their existence. Yeah, I think that all you said, Jonas, makes makes a lot of sense and ties what we're seeing too. I think the interestingly, and you kind of know this, investment banks, they get it, they've already got it. I think JP Morgan invested like $2 billion already in kind of their their uh, kind of cloud infrastructure. $12 billion, Jay. 12 billion. 12 billion. I'm sorry. I messed a one. Thank you. But interestingly, um, and I don't know if you've, you've seen the same thing, Jonas, but like Bank of America, even, I mean, they've saved billions of dollars too, given their their cloud strategy and what they've been able to do. But I think they've, they've kind of built their own cloud environment. So, you know, Gary, your question about who's doing it well, I think there's some that are getting it. I think the the lackers are the ones who are still kind of encumbered in the legacy technology. In North America, I think there are leaders and laggards like anybody else. And, and I think the leaders, they're actually investing to modernize. The intent is to disrupt. So they're not really entering it incrementally. Laggards, they need to bring their um, strategy up to snuff and deliver hyper-personalized solutions to the customer. Laggards or leaders, they know that digital transformation is not optional. They know it cannot be incremental in order to have a fighting chance against the new entrants, which include big tech, fintech. Yeah, I think one last point to add here that we're seeing with some of the leading financial institutions is that they're leveraging a very robust cloud migration continuous improvement lifecycle, where they're moving some initial workloads to the cloud and they're able to minimize disruption to ongoing operations and decrease some of their operating costs 
which they're then using to fund some of the modernization and transformation of the, the remaining aspects of their cloud infrastructure. And they're able to introduce some cloud-native and industry-specific capabilities that replace the legacy and custom applications. So it's the full life cycle of moving workloads, optimizing, and then finally modernizing and transforming seems to be a key aspect of some of the leading institutions. Hey, Jay, isn't there a study that Hackett did in terms of how this company, like Matt mentions, have actually some very recognizable increase in EBITDA and EPS? Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, no, we have done some work there. And basically, we look at both single cloud and multi-cloud in terms of its impact on some of the financial metrics and EBITDA, uh, also EPS. On the EBITDA perspective, we found that the longer you're in the cloud, we see a positive impact on EBITDA. You know, I think if you're in there from one to three years, it's like 1.8% up to like six plus years, you're seeing a seven plus percent impact on, on EBITDA. And then I think the other thing we looked at was uh, kind of saturation levels and, and EPS, like I said, but EBITDA was kind of interesting. The longer you're in, it, it really starts to impact uh, your financial performance positively. Okay. Uh, great, st- great stuff, guys. Jay, Jonas, Matt, thank you all for joining us today for this discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you for the uh, opportunity and uh, continue working with you on this uh, very worthy effort. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Jonas. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Jonas. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode or send us an email at podcast at thehackitgroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackitgroup.com.